Today's episode of Theoretically Speaking features Dr. Preeti Jingran from Genesis Research and Dr. Tiana Ignatovic from Market Access Transformation. They join us to answer some top questions from a recent webinar where they presented opportunities for using agile platforms and fit-for-purpose engagement models that can drive an iterative approach to obtaining payer insights and developing impactful evidence generation strategies. Let's jump in. First one here is from Mohammed. Does MAT have any experience of testing RWE strategy slash study design with pairs? Thanks, Mohammed and, and Sydney. So th that's an interesting question. In the previous, in, in her initial presentation, part of the presentation, Preeti was discussing the importance, the growing importance of real world evidence and also the growing interest from the manufacturers. So in fact, we've had lots of more interest in the recent years and activity within the segment. And the type of work we've done in the real world evidence space has been very varied. So it included more landscape type work in just terms of understanding how payers see real-world evidence, how they utilize it, and really the acceptance, because this is a fast-moving field, or being much more into going into much more specifics around how what setup of study design should be utilized to augment either a pre-launch product or at launched, maybe in situations where it's a single arm trial, so using synthetic control arms through real-world evidence, or for launched products in looking at how post-marketing real-world evidence can augment the differentiation, particularly where there's no head-to-head -head data. So yes, you've had multiple different types of surveys have been involved within this area, and it's, it's just really very important. Great response. Thanks. Our next question, Stephanie asks, how do you determine data available or possible data sources for a disease state? I can take that question. So here in Genesis Research, firstly, we're a data agnostic company. We work across multiple different data sources. So when we have a question at hand, we try to do a data landscape to understand what would be the best data sources to answer the research question. As you know, when you work with Big Pharma, they have a lot of data available through their platforms. In other instances, we would go into the literature to better understand what would be the best data sources to answer the question? Sometimes it also requires us to do some feasibility work early on to really pin down, pin down the appropriate data source which should be used to answer that question. It's very disease dependent. Every data source has limitations and strengths. So it's really very important to understand what is the disease state, what is the question at hand, and what would be the best data source to answer the question. Okay, fantastic, thank you. Okay, our next question is from Lee. Given that payer insights are collected via an online platform, can they be as robust as telephone interviews where the interviewer can probe and change direction course? I think this is relating to MIT, so maybe I can, I can take this one. So yes, MIT has an online payer engagement platform. However, as I've said before, it's not a static engagement. It's not some kind of survey monkey he pays writes short answer, multiple choice questions, and there they go. We have, the MAT draws on the experience of first structuring the questions in a way that really utilize the most appropriate approach to answer the question at hand. Also, the payers who work with us know also what's expected in terms of the depth of the response, so we can get that robustness. But also, we have that dynamic ability to re-engage 
with the payers in case there is something that's not clear or if there's totally new avenues worth exploring to ask follow-up questions. Another advantage of the online approach specifically versus time-limited interviews is that we get every question answered. It's not a case of going through discussion guides and then running out of time to answer some questions. So every payer answers every question. And, and pay are not under time pressure to answer them. They can take the time, they can reflect on it, they can consult with colleagues, they can do their own research, so they can give a more informed response by just being allowed more time as well. Okay. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, great. All right, our next question is from Jing. What data collaborations are important in the current environment? I think this one's for you, Preeti. <laughs> There are multiple data collaborations which are happening behind the scenes. Some of them actually Genesis Research is involved in. Again, depending on the disease state and the need for the life sciences companies, we oftentimes have to think through in terms of which data sources have to be integrated through those methodologies which are available to get disparate data sources together and answer the question holistically. We've had instances where registry data has been integrated with claims data. We have had instances where EMR data has been integrated with claims data. We've also leveraged unstructured data, which is available. So again, depends on what is the research question we essentially try to understand what are the possibilities and then try to determine what integration needs to happen. But behind the scenes, many of the organizations, including Genesis Research, are working quite extensively in integrating data across multiple different sources. Great response. Okay. This next one is from Stephanie. Sometimes payer slash HTA decisions are made by taking into consideration clinical slash KOL input. Can an online survey-based approach capture that element of interaction? Okay, um, I think, you know, this is probably a question that's relevant both for it and me, but yeah. the online angle, maybe I can take this one. I think that's a good point that most diseases, but in some maybe rare diseases specifically, that clinician input can be quite important and payers will rely on it. So in instances where we feel that is quite important, the way MIT approaches is we include both the KOLs in the sample, so we can get that KOL voice and also compare the differences. Sometimes KOLs have more positive views on therapies and, and disagree with payers, and that is how it really goes out in life. So uh, frequently we found that we do include KOL work in our surveys as well. But there are also instances where an area is completely new and where we found approach works is to conduct surveys in a two-way approach. So first, uh, looking at the KOL findings and also consider feeding or utilizing some of those KOL findings, let's say, on a TP perception, value driver's perception, and presenting them to the payers as well so that they can respond to those and react and really imitate and emulate some of that real-life discussion that also goes on. And I think one of the benefits of this approach is that rather than having few very strong voices dominate any discussions that can happen sometimes in the advisory board, we can still get everybody's voice heard quite strongly. I'll just add a, a little bit. Tiana answered it in a very robust way, but we always have the traditional approaches of ad boards and one-on-one discussions and diet interviews. All of those are available to us, right? So we have to use our judgment and our experience to understand 
we may start from mad RPR and when it comes to refinement, that could potentially be done using the traditional approaches as well. So there is no one size fit all. You really have to understand what is needed and what would make sense from a strategic perspective. hope you enjoyed this episode of Theoretically Speaking and that you'll tune in to future episodes where we chat with pharma value, evidence, and access experts. Don't forget to subscribe.